Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to uh, look at a lot of different things here. We're going to start another uh, book of the Bible, one of the epistles. It's actually the shortest one, and we'll be looking at that, but we're going to look a little bit at things in the news, and I've, I've been pondering this most of the night. Today we have a huge windstorm out here. And you can hear way in the background the wind. Hopefully it won't get onto the recording. But uh, hopefully it also won't cut off our power in the middle of the recording. But uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, when we say wind out here, we're talking serious wind. We always say if you're not having trouble standing up, it's not windy yet. (laughs) But uh, it's going to be a, a windy day all day today. But uh, there's a lot of wind blowing in the country today, too, and in the news, a lot of things going on. And I actually spent a little bit of time last night looking at uh, news feeds from a variety of different uh, news uh, media outlets and seeing what each of them had to say about a couple of different stories that are in the news to, to make a comparison of what was being said and what was not being said and how, you know, what they call the spin is being put on different uh, news stories. And uh, it it was quite interesting to see, you know, compare CNN, MSNBC, ABC News, uh, NBC News, ESPN, CBS, and Fox News, and they all were... Uh, showing themselves in the light because there's been a particular narrative going on during the events in in the United States uh, concerning Trump and impeachment and corruption in the Ukraine and and then they got Rudy Giuliani going over there to the Ukraine and supposedly gathering uh, information and evidence and I mean he's back He's holding up the information. He's showing the information. He's willing to share it with anybody who wants to see it. Uh, it's based on actual affidavits, actual bank records, actual testimony, sworn testimony by people who are high up in the Ukrainian government and and uh, want to expose the corruption. I mean, they just had a presidential election or prime minister election there in Ukraine, where they elected a guy who was actually a former comedian, uh, but he ran on one simple thing, clean up the corruption, because the, there are many good, 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 good people in Ukraine, and there are many corrupt people in the Ukraine, and there are many good people in the United States, and there are many corrupt people in the United States. Of course, all you people out there listening, none of you are corrupted, but actually we're going to take a look before we're done and find out whether or not maybe somebody has crept in and corrupted you unawares. You didn't even know they were corrupting you, because there's a couple of different definitions of corruption. But anyway, in looking at these stories, you know, Giuliani appearing on CNN with Chris Cuomo, uh, Cuomo and uh, going over some of these things, even before he did this particular investigation, he's just come back again and has a lot more evidence. But, uh, you know, uh, Chris Cuomo is biased, period. I have watched him for years now, and and he is totally, totally biased. 
the uh, evidently uh, uh, Marie uh, Yovanovitch, who was the ambassador for the United States to uh, the Ukraine, uh, I saw her testimony. When I saw her testimony, I thought, this woman is not telling the truth. I mean, she probably tells the truth from time to time, but I knew she wasn't telling the truth. Well, evidently, she got fired, pressured to be fired by Rudy Giuliani, and uh, most of the TV networks, or news networks, because it's not just on TV now, it goes out on YouTube and everywhere else, uh, most of these guys are saying that this was a terrible thing that he did, this career politician, uh, well-respected, was fired because he had to force her out to do what he wanted to do. Well, that sounds terrible, and that's what they are doing is making it sound terrible. He says flat out she had to go because she was corrupt. And according to testimony of numerous, numerous people who are investigating the present corruption, which we know has been going on for years in the Ukraine, millions and millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars has gone missing and was misappropriated. And this is why the new leader was elected. And she, this, this evidently w- increased while she was the uh, ambassador there. And she appears, he says he has documentation and evidence, sworn statements that she was interfering with the investigation of this corruption. And we know that Biden, on film, he said, I, if you don't fire this guy investigating the corruption of, of this company that clearly was corrupt and has been corrupt and everybody knows is corrupt, that uh, they weren't going to get billions of dollars from the United States government. And he was going to hold it up if they did not fire that guy. And why? Because he was he doing something wrong while he was investigating. He was gathering data and information. And maybe he wasn't doing a good job. Maybe he was corrupt, too. I don't know. But he didn't say, we have to get somebody in there to find out what the truth is because this guy's not doing a good job. He just wanted that guy fired. And he did it on camera. And... Yeah, are you seeing that on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, or all these other uh, letters uh, and uh, uh, news networks? Uh, no, I, I'm not seeing it on most of those. You do see it on Fox because that it fits their narrative. Now, is Fox corrupted? Well, the fact is corruption isn't always overt. Sometimes you're just deceived and you promote that which you have accepted is true that just ain't so. But sometimes you are actually criminally trying to deceive others. So there's a variety of reasons why the media has become corrupt. But I'm not, I'm not here to save the media. I would like individuals to be saved. Well, in order to be saved, you have to repent. You have to think differently. And, uh, it seems like a lot of the media wants you to think a particular way that just ain't so, that shouldn't be. You should not be thinking that way. So anyway, that's going to play out in the news in the next weeks or months if somebody doesn't get assassinated. But uh, he's 
supposedly got all kinds of information, and I know there are investigators going on behind the scenes, and and a lot of people uh, voted for Trump because they wanted to, somebody who would stir things up. Well, things are getting stirred up, and of course people are choosing sides, and uh, a lot of people are listening to the news, and they really just believe what they want to believe. They hear what they want to hear. They have ears to hear this and eyes to see that, but they don't have ears to hear this over here. And the reality is you have to all be like Patrick Henry, wanting to know the whole truth and provide for it. Now, what the book that we're going to be looking at is uh, Jude, which is the last book before Revelation. And uh, it's the shortest I think it's the shortest in the Bible. It's certainly the shortest in the New Testament. It's only 25 lines long, no no chapter divisions. But when I'm thinking of Jude, I thought, well, this morning when I got up, I thought, well, what about that song, Hey Jude, what was that all about? And I could remember some of the words, you know, Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. That sounds like a kind of a positive note. He says, remember to let her into your heart. Then you can start to make it better. You have to let her, whoever her is, into your heart and make it better. Now, most people, when they heard that song, they didn't know what it was all about, but it sounded good. It's kind of a uh, melodic ballad, and it's something you can get a lot of people behind and sing and, and get you a good feeling. He goes on to say, hey, Jude, don't be afraid. Good advice. You know, how many times in the Bible does it tell you to fear not? You were made to go out and get her. The minute you let her under your skin, then you begin to make it better. Well, again, who's her? You know, you you can put, uh, you know, like wisdom. Wisdom is mentioned in Proverbs more than anywhere else in the Bible. And wisdom is a her. They refer to it as a her. So it could be wisdom. Love could be a her. It could represent the idea of love. Let love, you know, into your heart and under your skin, and then you'll start making it better. That's what that song could mean to you. You know, and he goes on, uh, and, and anytime you feel the pain, hey, Jude, refrain. Don't carry the world upon your shoulders. Well, how do you carry the world upon your shoulders? Well, actually, one of the ways is you don't forgive. And we're going to tie forgiveness into this over and over again because it's very important. Forgiveness releases the chains of bondage. If you don't forgive, neither can you be forgiven. That was one of the things I wanted to look up and talk to you more about. What What is this word forgive? What Where, where does it come from? There's a Hebrew word forgive. There's a Greek word forgive. Forgive is letting go, letting go of judgment. If you want to be free of judgment, you have to let go of judgment. Who, who, that's that, you know, people always say, well, I don't, you know, I tell them they need to forgive somebody. And I have to remind them, your forgiveness is not their absolution. You don't absolve them of the responsibility of what they've done wrong. If they've done wrong, they're responsible for what they've done wrong. And you don't make that go away when you forgive them. 
what you're doing is getting out of the way of God and allowing God to judge them. Because God knows what he's doing when it comes to judgment. It's built into the system. You know, and we live in a survival of the fittest cause and effect universe. If you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven, period. That's the way it works. That's what Christ said. If you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in what he taught, his doctrines, and that's one of his doctrines. If you don't forgive, neither are you forgiven. So you forgive so that you may be forgiven. That's That may not be the only thing you have to do to be forgiven, but that's at least a big part of it. And that means that you can't judge, you can't assert God, you have to let God do the judging. He will Nobody gets away with anything. It's built into the system. You jump off the building, the sidewalk awaits you. And anytime you feel the pain, hey, Jude, refrain, don't carry the world on your shoulders, means forgive uh, so you can let go of these chains, these morally chains that you're dragging around. For well you know that it's a fool who plays it cool by making his world a little colder. In other words, not loving. You need to love. Now, really, does that is that Jude thing have anything to do with love? Actually, the song was originally written by Paul McCartney to uh, Jules, who was the five-year-old son of John Lennon, Julian Lennon, known they nicknamed him Jules, because John Lennon was getting a divorce from his wife, which is the mother of Jules. And getting mixed up with a new wife, Yoko Ono, who is an artist from Japan. Another whole story. But what this song means is what it means to you. What the words mean is what it means to you. That's what it meant to them. But you take the symbols of the song and it, it may mean something different to you. And that's okay. It's just a song. And it may speak to your heart. But it may not be what the original author intended. And the Bible's kind of written that way. It's not written for private interpretation. It's written so that you can get the message of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible being divinely inspired, the authors were divinely inspired to write certain words down. You need to be divinely inspired to read those words to hear the message of that divine source, whatever that divine source is, this this force moving throughout creation, this this uh, divine designer who has designed creation. There's some sort of a plan here. <laughs> and we say that God made that plan. And we call evil uh, a diversion from that plan, a variation of that plan, an altering of that plan. We were made in the image of God, but we are remade in the image of Satan when we follow Satan or his ways rather than the ways of God. What we should be becomes corrupted. We look out in the world today, just talking about all the corruption going on. Who's corrupt? Is Biden taking bribes? Is the Democrats taking bribes? Are they are they receiving millions and millions of dollars that are laundered through? They just passed a budget. You're looking at all this stuff about uh, uh, about uh, you know impeachment and all the supposed corruption and the Trump administration. Meanwhile, 
trillion dollar budgets are being passed without anybody, anybody in Congress actually reading the budgets. It's all been arranged in back rooms by both Democrats and Republicans. Sat down in the back room and says, okay, you put in my pork barrel project and I'll put in uh, your pork barrel project. And suddenly trillions of dollars get spent, lots of money goes changing hands, lots of favors are done, politicians get to become millionaires, <laughs> and your children are cursed in greater and greater debt. There's no way to turn that ship around. You can't do it. It's too big a ship. It was just in the news, a couple of these cruise liners, one of them ran into the other one. It didn't hit it really hard, but... You know, when you weigh thousands of tons and you just bump something else that weighs thousands of tons, anything you bump gets broke. And so that's what was happening. You can't turn down around this ship. Trump can't turn around the ship. You drain the swamp, somebody downstream is going to get drowned. You can work on it. And, of course, that's what they're doing. But Trump is not your salvation. You don't find Trump. Uh, salvation by electing a new leader. Uh, the Bible is against you electing leaders. It warns you that if you elect to have rulers over you and, and rule over you and your neighbor, that they're going to end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. Now, I don't know. Trump's already a millionaire, billionaire. He's probably not in this for the money. But he's only going to be there for five more years at the most. And then somebody else is going to take that office, and that office will have as much power as he leaves in that office. And if you create offices of power, men who seek power will seek office. You can't change governments by changing the leaders. You own, Kingdoms do not change until men change. You have to change. That's the good news. You can change. You can be changed. You can repent. You can think a different way. You can do things a different way. And you will be changed in accordance. If you continue to do the things the way of Cain, the way of Nimrod, the way of Sodom and Gomorrah, you will be changed. And that's what's happened is that people have crept in and changed a lot of you. Now the question is, who wants to change back? Well, hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. There's corruption. If you let love into your heart, real love, not emotional love, not, uh, you know, touchy-feely love, but real love, real fellowship. Somebody was talking to me about fellowship. They love the fellowship of a large group, and they like to go to a church because it makes them feel good. It doesn't make them be good. It makes them feel good. Now, I'm not against whether you go to a large church, you sit down with a lot of other people, but if you want the fellowship of Christ, you need to understand what the fellowship of Christ is. And the fellowship of Christ might make you feel a little uncomfortable at times. But no pain, no gain. You know, and uh, you may have to heat things up. And, of course, that's why it says in the song, at any time you feel the pain, hey, Jude, refrain. Don't carry the world upon your shoulders. Forgive. You have to forgive yourself for being fooled. The world has been fooled a lot of different ways. All the foolishness you see going on in the media, that is the tip of the iceberg. 
it's a big iceberg. And we're going to get down and take a look at that iceberg and see if we can't warm things up a little bit and melt some of that iceberg. Don't worry about the coastlines flooding. If you melt all the North Pole, the ocean water should not increase at all <laughs> because all that floating ice, it will actually go down. You know, you can watch this. You can have a glass with ice sticking up in it, and you melt all that ice, and the water doesn't overflow. Why? Because the ice is expanded, and now it contracts as it melts. But anyway, yeah, if you melted all the South Pole, uh, maybe the water go up. Probably Greenland might go up. But what's melting them? Is it global warming, or is it uh, the Earth heating up in its core? Because there's volcanoes under Greenland, and there's volcanoes under the uh, Atla- uh, Arctic, and there's volcanoes under the Antarctic. And they don't even know how many. They just found an extra 91. We talked about this a week or so ago. Extra 91 volcanoes under the Antarctic. And we don't know how many are going off. And so we don't know how many are warming the soil underneath the, the snowpack. We know there are some, but we don't know. We certainly don't know all the ones under the ocean. There's thousands, and we don't know if they're. We're not even looking at them. Nobody's looking at them. Nobody even knows what they're doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you think they might be having an effect? Well, yeah. There's a lot. The science is not settled. We haven't even scratched the surface. But anyway, back to this idea of corruption. One of the things that we're going to look at is metaphors. The Bible is full of metaphors. The Bible. Many of the Bible stories are allegories. Even the ones that are true, and they're not just allegories made up, fictional stories to try to impart some idea to you, but many of the events are told because there's an allegory message in them. The whole language of Hebrew is full of metaphors. What What is English metaphors derived from a 16th century old French word, uh, metaphora? Uh, which I I don't have a French pronunciation of it, but <laughs> which uh, comes from a Latin metaphora, means to carrying over, uh, you know. And there's actually a Greek word also metaphora. So I mean the Latin and the Greek are very similar. But anyway, the, it has to do with carryover transfer. But the actual meaning of metaphor today is a figure of speech that describes an object or an action in a way that isn't literally true, but helps explain an idea or make a comparison. A metaphor states that one thing is another thing. It equates those two things, not because they actually are the same, but for the sake of comparison or symbolism. And that's why in the Hebrew language you have so many words that have two meanings, a physical meaning and an abstract meaning, because it's just full of metaphors. And, of course, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So we're going to need to look at some of that in order to understand Jude. But we'll be right back to show you what you're missing.
about corruption and liars. Uh, there's a lot of liars. Who do you believe? You know, we're watching the news. We're seeing what's going on in our country. You could do the same thing in Australia. You could do the same thing in Canada. You could do the same thing in Great Britain. Uh, and people are trying to filter information to you and put a spin on it so that you believe that things are a certain way. And this, this goes all the way back to, you know, second king of Israel, which was David. Saul was the first. Saul was corrupted. Saul was a great guy, but they gave him this power, and he was corrupted by it. And one of the things that I'm going to eventually point out here, might as well do it right now, is that David came up, and people wanted to make him king, but Saul was king. So how did he get rid of Saul? Well, David actually sneaks up on him and leaves a dagger there by him, shows him, I could kill you, but I'm not going to do it that way. That would be a corrupt way to do it, and that's what could happen here in the scenarios that we see going on in the United States. There certainly has been assassinations in Ukraine and attempted assassinations in the Ukraine. Uh, and there's been assassinations here in the United States. And there's billions and trillions of dollars at stake. I mean, just here in the local government of Oregon, the uh, uh, 80% or at least 70%, I, I have to be careful I don't exaggerate, but 70 is a pretty high percentage, of the people holding public office in the state of Oregon are felons, according to Article 2, Section 22 of the Oregon Constitution. They are felons now. And it, it's easily proved. It's proved in a matter of minutes with each one of them. You can show that they're felons. And they forfeit their office. So they're occupying the office that they have illegally. They're actually trespassing. The Governor Brown is trespassing in the governor's office. She is not the lawful governor of Oregon. But somebody has to call her out. Well, you need a David. You need somebody who's honest and says, no, but I'm not, I'm praying that she repents and comes and confesses I, I'm a felon I have no right to the office, and I'm stepping down. I'm forfeiting the office. If she doesn't do that, you need to have citizens go and make her do it. Why? Because they're all sworn to uphold the Constitution of Oregon. I'm not sworn to uphold the Constitution of Oregon, but I read it. <laughs> and they are, and they should keep their word. Because people like David said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. He says that in Psalms 116.11. You can go look that up. Well, all men probably are liars, but I'm not going to say it. I want all men to repent. So all the citizens of Oregon need to repent, stop being slothful, and actually hold their leaders that they have chosen for themselves to the very rules that they have applied to them, because Article 2, Section 22 was voted in by, uh, into the Constitution by the people back in 1994. They did it because the people that were corrupt in the government of Oregon before that had back in the 70s removed all the restrictions on campaign finances. So the people voted in restrictions. And 70 to 80 percent of everybody holding office, elected office in the state of Oregon, uh, are in violation of those rules. And it's a matter of record, you know. The media should be telling us, but the media 
Statesman Journal and these other uh, media outlets, they're corrupt too, and we'll, we'll show that in the days to come. But the only reason we're showing that is not to manipulate them. We want you to repent. We want you all to start telling the truth. And that's what we're going to look at when we look at Jude in the next part of the program, is to find out what is the truth. You know, if you go to uh, Timothy and Titus, Titus, one of themselves, even the prophet of their own, said, the Christians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. What does that mean? Well, in Jude, they, they're going to talk about brute beasts. So what, what do all these things mean? In, in Timothy 1.10, it says, For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves uh, with mankind, for uh, men-stealers, uh, for liars, for prejudiced persons, and if there be any other thing that is uh, contrary to sound doctrine. He's, he's talking about people that will have no inheritance in the kingdom and and will that we should stay away from that are corrupted. Well, that's pretty easy to see, that some, although some people have difficulty in seeing all that, but uh, that that is a corruption of what should be, of the image of God and the way things should be. And, I mean, of course, today people don't even know if they're male or female. That, that, you know, that there's... There's people that are being defamed because they say there's not 76 different genders. Well, actually, biologically speaking, there's basically two genders. Occasionally, you'll have some strange events, but very, very rare, where somebody is actually neither male nor female, or it's it's confused biologically. They're usually, though, the the chromosomes are there, but it that the, because of you know, genetics can get, the code can get mixed up. Occasionally that happens. Most of what you see in this gender dysphoria is psychological. It's a social construct. It has to do with often trauma and lack of forgiveness. And we can go through that at another time, but uh, it doesn't have anything to do with condemning anybody. When you say sin, that's just not something that's not natural, not the way it should be. You're not... The event is not the sin. The event is evident that there is something that isn't the way that it should be. Now, why isn't it that way? Because intent is very important. What You could be, you know, Christ goes and there's people out there gnawing on bones and scaring people off and attacking people, and he heals them. And they're not doing it anymore. And he brings them into the fold. Uh, there's people with all kinds of maladies and difficulties, and they're healed. And they're brought into the fold, and he cares for them, and he washes their feet, and and they're sinners. They betray him, and he wants to wash their feet. So it isn't about condemning other people. Even the Nicolaitans, which we will talk about, because the, the era of the Nicolaitans is the, the era of Balaam. And it's also the way of Cain and Nimrod, and Caesar, and uh, and uh, FDR, <laughs> and all these guys, which we'll tie all together before we're done. But the point is is that you're talking about these 
uh, idolaters and liars and horrormongers and sorcerers, which they mention in Revelation 21.8, these are people that are not the way they should be. I don't condemn them. They condemn themselves. I'm not the judge. Uh, I I'm out, I want to get out of the way of the judge, which is God, and it's built into his creation that they will suffer for their unnatural brute beast behavior, if if whatever it is. But if they will awaken, they can repent of that and be changed and be happy again. That's where I want everybody to go, is be happy again. I don't want to make somebody miserable because they're sinners. They're going to be miserable anyway. They're going to be depressed. They're going to be confused. They're going to be yelling and screaming. They're going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want them to get better. I want them to be healed. I want them to be whole. But in order to be whole, you have to be willing to see the whole truth about things. So I'm going to end up saying things that are not comfortable for people. But hopefully people will heal. <laughs> people will get better. That's the goal. So, has has somebody crept in and deceived you? Because besides the corruption, corruption is defined as dishonest or fraudulent conduct by those in power, typically involving bribery. That's that's a basic definition. You just look that up and read that. And that's a basic definition. But it also can be the actions of making someone or something morally depraved or the state of being so. So you can actually corrupt other people. And, of course, we see that all the time. People, you know, I've had people try to force me to drink with them in the bar. <laughs> I was in there repairing things, and they they were trying to, uh, I mean, actually literally strong-arm me. Because, I, I, you know, I mean, I'll drink a little wine now and then, but I'm not an alcoholic or a drug addict or anything like that. I I have my problems, but that's not them. And uh, they they sensed that, and they wanted to corrupt me. Of course, I saw that way back when I was a kid in Boy Scouts. There were always kids around that wanted to corrupt you. And I'm not going to say that I haven't fallen to some of those corruptions, but then I repent, I forgive them and myself, and I can get better because the power of God can now get into you. Hey, Jude, let it into your heart. <laughs> you can't let it into your heart. You can't let forgiveness into your heart if you don't forgive others. So that's very important. But there's another definition of corruption. The process by which something, typically a word or expression, is changed from its original use or meaning to one that is regarded as erroneous or debased. Well, we talk about that all the time. And somebody I was, again, talking to, I get people call me, they get a hold of me. Really, you want to talk to me, you should go through the network. You should you should not be taking up hours and hours of my time and taking me away from my family, taking me away from my work, because you want private counseling. Now, I'll be here for lots of people, but I would like to see you Join a congregation in the network at preparingyou.com or at hisholychurch.org, and you come in the name of Christ. In other words, you come not to feel better, but you come to do good for others, that others might be saved, to help others, to serve others. That's why Christ came. If you're not going to church for that reason, you're not coming in the name or character of Christ. 
You're just saying words. You got to come. You got to come to help other people clean up their act. And in the process, you have to be willing to take and examine your own error and fallacies and faults and frailties and be willing to see them, forgive yourself of them, and allow yourself to be changed. But they were talking about the Bible. Has has God preserved the Bible? Uh, Well, I mean, which one? Which translation? Because they're not all the same, so something's going on with that. And nowhere does it say all translators are inspired by God. But the Word of God is witnessed to in the Bible. The Bible itself is not the Word of God. The Word of God wrote on the hearts of men. Men wrote it down in paper. Other men came along and translated it. But if the Word of God is in you, you will figure it out. It won't be your private interpretation. It will be the interpretation of the Holy Spirit working through you. Now, that may be a process, but I can tell you this. I don't have to change the Bible to corrupt it. All I have to do is take words that are in the Bible now and change their definition. When you read the Bible, you will apply those new definitions. The Bible hasn't changed one dot, one tittle, one word. But you will see it differently because I changed the meaning of the words that you're reading in the exact same Bible that was 500 years ago. Didn't change the words in the Bible, just changed change the meaning of the words for you. Take a word like religion. <laughs> change the meaning. Turn religion into meaning. What you think about God is your religion. But the meaning of the word religion 200 years ago was the pious performance of a duty. It wasn't what you think about God. Now, it may involve what you think about God, but it was actually the pious performance of a duty to God and to your fellow man. Pure religion was to take care of the needy of your society, around about you, even foreigners in your midst to take care of their needs in a righteous way through charity, unspotted by the men who exercised authority one over the other, the world, the fathers of the earth, the benefactors who exercised authority, unspotted by their their things that they have because they forced the contribution of the people. Because the forced contribution are things sacrificed to idols. You know, in Leviticus... 2225 it says neither from a stranger's hand shall ye offer the bread of your god of any of these because their corruption is in them the blemishes be in them they shall not be accepted for you so what what what, what corruption well the strangers are those estranged, estranged from what Moses was teaching. Moses was teaching the people how to take care of one another through free will offerings, by loving your neighbor as yourself. These are those. That's Moses saying that. I know you have a picture of Moses, but that's because somebody already came along and changed the meaning of the words in the Hebrew. They unmoored the metaphor from its meaning. 
and got people to actually think that God wants you to pile up stones, kill sheep, and set them on fire. And that will make him happy when it actually has nothing to do with that. And we've written about that extensively. We have recordings on that. We take people through step by step. That, Like I say, the, the Essenes at the time of Jesus Christ would have nothing to do with the animal sacrifice that we see the Pharisees doing because they said it was a fiction and a fraud. Yet they read the Torah. They knew Hebrew. They followed Moses. But they they saw it differently than the Pharisees. Did they see everything right? Probably not. But they didn't. They they knew that the animal sacrifice was wrong. Now they they did have Passover, but that's cooking a meal. And the reality is, is all those sacrifices was to provide for the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. And if you don't understand that, then you you could go read our sacrifice of sophistry. You can go uh, read the Thy Kingdom Comes, the whole book there, uh, and it's free online. You can listen to the audios. Join the network; people will explain it to you. But we can't get off track here. Deuteronomy four sixteen: Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, a similitude of any figure or likeness of male or female. Now, you think that has to do with making a statue. I mean, if people won't let their kids have dolls and stuff like that, which is fine, and it's your kids, you, you can do that. But the graven images is something created by your hand to substitute the way of God. Over and over again, they talk in the Bible about the way. You know, in, in Psalms 53... Uh, verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. Doeth good? See, they're talking about that doing again. And they talk about that in the New Testament. Don't let anybody tell you that you you just have to say, Lord, Lord, and you don't have to do the will of the Father. Because Christ says, Saying, Lord, Lord, is not enough. He he makes it very clear that if you're doing works of iniquity, you can't come into the kingdom. That you have to be a doer of the word. That's the gospel of Christ. That's the doctrines of Christ. The apostles taught the doctrines of Christ, and we'll see that in Jude. Psalm 73, 8. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. So wait a minute, they speak loftily and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. We're not supposed to oppress one another. We're supposed to love one another. We're not supposed to covet one another's goods and we're not supposed to hire somebody to take away from our neighbor so that we can be socially secure. We should not do that. If you're going to follow Christ, you can't do that. You know, socialism is the religion you have when you have no religion. But if you think religion is what you think about God, you don't understand the religion you're supposed to have is that you're supposed to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, taking care of the needy through free will offerings, not forced offerings. If you've created a system that uses forced offerings, then you will go under force. That's built in. As you judge, so shall ye be judged. But you can read over and over again, they keep talking about the way, this other way, this way that isn't based on force, this way that's based on love. 
Ezekiel 16:47. Yet hast thou not walked after their ways? Whose ways? Cain, Nimrod, Balaam. Nor done after their abominations, forcing their neighbor to contribute to their welfare, putting their children into debt. That peg package that was passed that Tom Tom Cruise. Uh, Senator Cruz was talking about <laughs> Senator Cruz was talking about that trillions of dollars in debt your children are going to have to pay for this but guys will be making millions and millions and millions of dollars this, this is corruption beyond imagination you, you can't even see and they cloak corruption in corruption both sides are doing it's not just one side. And you're not going to elect him Saul is going to solve this problem. Even if you elect David himself, who fell prey to the temptations of the power also, although he did repent of it, after David's gone, there will be a Rehoboam. You, you have to go back to the ways of Christ, and that's what they're saying. Yet hast thou not walked in their ways, nor done after the abomination, but as if that were a very little thing, thou wast corrupted more than they in all thy ways. So there's lots of different ways to be corrupted. Ezekiel twenty forty four. I just added to our Ezekiel, uh, you know, references in the Bible. I added something to Ezekiel one to try to get people to see how you can read the same thing and get different views based on the knowledge you have already. And maybe we'll go through that this afternoon. But And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have wrought with you for any name, for, for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O ye house of Israel. So there's a there's wicked ways and there's righteous ways. And if you're repenting, you have to seek the ways of righteousness. That's what Christianity was called, is righteousness. It isn't righteous to covet your neighbor's goods or send men who exercise authority one over the other to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That's not what made America great. What made America great is we took care of all social welfare in this country through faith, open charity. And it worked for a hundred years. But what, the more we get away from that, the more we're changed. And we, we talk about that. I also have it down here, Malachi 2.8. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of the Levi saith the Lord of hosts. And of course, when Jesus comes on the scene, most of the Levites have been corrupted. Actually, there was a huge die-off of Levites under uh, one of the previous kings, which we talk about in Thy Kingdom Come, Aristobulus, and uh, his uh, cousin or uh, relative there that were both vying for uh, the kingdom to be the king. And uh the people didn't want him as king, and instead of on Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, they they supposedly were supposed to hail him with palm branches. They were actually hitting him with them, and he had all kinds of them killed. So many of the Levites killed, there was nobody to say grace at the meal. <laughs> so, uh, they and then of course there was the Sanhedrin. We talk about the Sanhedrin, 
a huge number of them left because of the corruption. So the, the Sanhedrin that we see sitting in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus Christ was those people who were so corrupt that they didn't leave. They didn't walk out. They didn't become an ecclesia. But fortunately, Christ appointed his own Sanhedrin, the 70 you see referred to that he's sending out. That's his Sanhedrin in his kingdom because he was taking the kingdom away from the fake Levites and going to appoint it to the ones who would actually fill the role of the Levites. And, of course, we see Levites like uh, Hoses, who became Barnabas, doing the job of the Levites. And uh, this is what the early church was doing. They were taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of society through pure religion, including major dearths, major depressions, major, major famines, and it allowed the Christians to survive during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. So right now we're seeing the present-day Roman Empire struggling, you know, to survive, and there are people trying to overcome the corruption, but you cannot do it with a leader. You must do it with the people. The people must turn their back on corruption and turn their faces towards righteousness and seek the ways of righteousness in everything. And one of those is to be honest, to be telling the truth, and to hold yourself. If you owe the tax, pay the tax. That's one of the things that Christ taught. If you've taken the oath, keep the oath. You know, abide by the rules that you have subjected yourself to. Be righteous in the unrighteous mammon so that you will prepare yourself for more righteous habitations. So anyway, you can go read Matthew 6.19, Matthew 7.17, Matthew 12.33, which says either uh, make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. So you have to straighten out your own life. In order to do that, you need to understand what the gospel is really talking about. And that's why we're going to look at Jude to see what Jude is really talking about. And we'll do that when we come back in the next part of the show. And we'll go through that word by word, line by line. There's only 25 of them, so it shouldn't take the whole hour but we'll take a look at what Jude is really saying. And unfortunately, it may be a little painful at times. We'll be right back. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Well, welcome back.
Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're going to look at Jude, the Epistle of Jude, uh, which is just a single chapter. There's no multiple chapters there, and there's only about 25 verses. It was written, I guess, around 70 or 90 A.D. They're not even really sure who wrote it. I mean, Jude, but who's Jude? Uh, there's a there's other Judes mentioned in the Gospels, but there are some that think it's one of them, some that think it's not one of them. Uh, one of the amazing things about it is it's extremely similar to what was in the second epistle of Peter. I mean, there are several lines that are almost identical. They're not always translated identical, but uh, they're they're very similar in the Greek. It's very clear by the uniformity of the Greek and the scholarship of the Greek in Jude that the guy who wrote it, whoever he was, knew Greek. He was well-trained in Greek. And so it it was well-written, and it was kind of written as what you would call an encyclical letter. It wasn't written to a particular church. It was kind of circulated around. And, you know, it's kind of kind of like a short list, which is kind of uh, prophetic because that's what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. And when we get into the new year, we're going to be talking about the short list, at least the new year, according to the calendar that's out there that everybody's using. Because this is, we're coming up right now, kind of on Christmas. This is actually the shortest day of the year. Uh, and uh, so this is a turning point, supposedly. So maybe this is going to be a little bit of a turning point in some of our message. That we have to really get serious about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and not just seeking our own little comfort in some comfortable church or comfortable philosophy or comfortable ideology or safe place. We're not looking for a safe place. We're looking for righteousness. So anyway, in the epistle, uh, he talks about things about, uh, warns about mockers uh, of those ungodly souls who lust. And uh, the word mockers there we also see in uh, Peter except for the fact it's not translated in Second Peter uh, as mockers when we see it. Well, we, we see it in Second uh, Peter 3, 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And then we see in Jude how that they told you there should be mockers in the last times who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Why these translations are not more similar, because clearly they're, they're the same line, and even in the Greek they're very similar, but they kind of shift around. They don't say, they say last times in Jude, but last days in Peter. They say mockers instead of so, uh, uh scoffers and but they're clearly talking about somebody who la walking after their own lusts and but then what is lust now if we say the word lust today you're thinking you know some sort of uh guy who's all involved with porn or women or what have you but what does lust actually mean the greek word that they're translating into lust is also translated concupiscence but it can be just simply desire, craving, longing for something you want that should be forbidden to you. Well, it's forbidden that you covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. Christ forbid it. Moses forbid it. God forbid it. 
And unfortunately today, that's absolutely okay. And most of these churches that offer you fellowship and want to make you feel good. It's okay to cover your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through men like Cain, Nimrod, Caesar, Obama, Clinton, Trump. As long as you do it through them, you're okay. You can covet your neighbor's goods. Not so. That's not the gospel. That's a deception. That's a corruption of the gospel. Anybody who's telling you that that's okay, that's not okay. They're they're prophets of Satan. And Jude gets into talking about that. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, we got a little bit of a picture of Jude. Now, also, uh, some of what Jude wrote, they suggest, has to do with uh, uh, Enoch, which could bring you into the Essenes because the Essenes knew about Enoch and the book of Enoch and all this stuff. And they're saying that he's quoting. And we found now, since they've uncovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, that some of the things that Jude wrote is very similar to those some of those books that were written there that we know are because they were in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, and he, he's making reference. So this guy was clearly a learned individual, and, but he could have gotten some of this stuff from Deuteronomy and some of these other places. I thought I'd put those notes in. Oh, I probably do. They're probably over in the side panel. You can get read that later. But anyway, let's get into Jude. Even though it's short, we don't want to take too much time. We want to get through it, and then we can go look at the side panel and see what some of these things mean. Now, I put a lot of links in our copy of this at preparingyou.com. You just go look at the Bible, look up Jude, and that's what that's the page I'm on right now. I think there a few more things I will be adding to this, but this will help you as a study guide, and the recording will eventually be there on that page too. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father, sanctified meaning separated by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Well, that's Jesus called men out to be separate, to be sanctified. That's what sanctified means. Just means separate. You can put the word separate there. By God. These are the ones I have kept out of the world. The constitutional orders and systems of government, they are separate. The church is separate from the state. The, the, the ministers called out, they have one king, Jesus. That's recognized in the law. That's recognized by the Supreme Court. But most churches aren't really separate, but that's another topic, and we can we can talk about that. If you have questions, join the network, ask, ask those questions. We probably already answered them, but somebody will show you where the answer is, or I'll just come right on the network and I'll answer it for you if I know the answer. God forbid uh, I make it up myself. But anyway, the word Jesus Christ there, I have links there, Jesus is a guy. Christ is a title. It's not his last name. It's Jesus the Anointed. Every place you see Jesus Christ, you're seeing Jesus the Anointed King of Israel, the Anointed King of Judea. And this is why they say there is another King, because there is another Christ, and that is him. Now, there are a lot of other false Christs, false kings, false people who say they're anointed, who are not teaching the ways of Jesus. They might use his name, but they're taking it in vain. You don't want to be one of those. But Jude will talk about that. Mercy unto you and peace 
and love be multiplied. How do you, love multiplied? That same word love is also translated charity. So charity be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Who are the saints again? The saints are those that are separated. They're called out. They are sanctified to perform certain tasks to preserve the way of Jesus Christ. What way is that? It's a system of social welfare through faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and violence. If you're using force or fear or violence to force the contributions of your neighbors so that you can feel safe and have your safe place, I don't care what church you go to, what song you sing, what prayer you say, you're doing contrary to the will of Christ, and you're probably actually a worker of iniquity. And you want to repent of that. You want to turn around and actually seek what Christ was talking about. And according to his doctrines, if you're a pastor... Okay, we just lost power here. (laughs) So, uh, we'll see if we can't get everything running again. Uh, Get the power back on and up. (laughs) Am I still connected? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I I heard the phone click, all lights went out, certain equipment went dead, (laughs) but it's come back. So anyway, we'll get back on. So we're down here in this verse 3 where he talks about, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you. And he talks about this faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Christ said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. I'm going to... uh, appointed to others who would bear fruit. These are the saints he's appointed it to. They're the new Levites. They're supposed they're going to do what the Levites were supposed to be doing that stopped doing, became corrupted, and he's going to help them do it the right way. In verse 4, we see for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the bad thing about them denying him, they're creeping in, they're preaching him. They're preaching Jesus, Christ as Lord. But in actuality, they're denying Jesus Christ because they're denying the doctrines of Jesus Christ. What he said, what he told us we had to do, what he told us we could not do. You know, when it says the word ordained there, it's actually a particular word that's normally not translated ordained. As a matter of fact, it appears uh, half a dozen times. It's only translated ordained once. Normally it's translated right or right aforetime or right before. So they were 
it means that the old set forth a designated beforehand the meaning of something, which could be the Old Testament. They d- depicted or portrayed the Old Testament in a particular way or a particular light that was contrary to the ways of God. So what is that other way that was contrary? Well, it was the way the Pharisees were going, that was, and it wasn't bearing fruit. It was actually making the word of God to none effect. Christ tells you their sacrifice, their corbin, that's what that means, was making the word of God to none effect. How could that be? The word of God is so powerful, and you're making, I mean, they're reading the Torah, but they were making it to none effect because they had unmoored the metaphor. They had changed the meaning of things to something other than what it was supposed to mean or be. And so that's what we have to do is turn around and go back to what God originally intended. And Moses knew what it was. That's why you see Moses and Elijah and Jesus all together is because they all knew what the truth really was and how it was to operate. And this was the way. This is the way we were supposed to be. And if we don't go that way, we will be altered. We will be turned into perfect savages. We will uh, be changed and go the way of sin. So now if you find out you somebody has cunningly come in and coerced you into going that wrong way, now you get to turn around repent, think a different way, and start going that way. That will lead you away from condemnation, away from lasciviousness. I have that word there as well, uh, linked to an article on what lasciviousness means, wantonness. It's also translated uh, unbridled lust, uh, desire, outrageous shamelessness. Well, covetousness is lasciviousness. Wantonness is lasciviousness uh, those who love filthy lucre bribes corruption want uh, wages of unrighteousness i should put a link in there to that i probably do already have it on the page and that's what we've done yet we say we're christians and you may be in a lot of ways maybe you you know you don't kill people don't murder people there was just a story in the news about somebody who wanted their neighbor, their best friend's baby. They pretended to get pregnant when their friend got pregnant. Eventually their friend had the baby and they killed them, evidently killed them, and stole the baby. They they faked being pregnant so that nobody would wonder where their baby came from. Well, anyway, they've been found out. and The baby's okay, but the mother evidently was dead in a trunk. So that, that's bizarre that people will go that crazy that insane to injure and hurt and kill other people uh, that, that and to steal and rob but you don't get there overnight you start it creeps in that it's okay to take away from your neighbor in this little way and 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 then it's maybe a little bit more way and that's what's happened to a lot of the people in the government offices that are taking these bribes and money laundering and all this stuff you've given them so much power they got more and more corrupt. They got more and more careless. So now you have corrupt men catching men who are even more corrupt. 
But if you catch them all and put those all in jail, the ones who caught them and put them in jail, they still are corrupt. <laughs> you, you down here, all of us down here where the rubber meets the road, we have to change. We have to go another way. And that's what the gospel is all about, is going that other way. Verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained, according to this old corruption. What old corruption is he talking about? I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, the word Egypt means bondage, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. There were people who rebelled against Moses and wanted to go back to that system of Egypt. Get the people to take their wealth and put it into this common purse, and then they would melt it down into this vault that they call a statue. I've told you these golden statues, you found them in a lot of the city-states. They were referred to in the Greek as a reserve fund. It was just a way of depositing everybody's wealth. But with your wealth and money, your gold and silver in their treasury, you're not going to flee the rest of the people when attacked. It was a way of guaranteeing loyalty. But it gave all the money and power to the government, and they became corrupted by that power. Power corrupts. And he goes on to remind you, so in Egypt, he didn't want you to ever return to this bondage of Egypt where 20% of what you produced had to go to the government. That was the bondage of Egypt. They weren't all out there getting whipped by guys, you know, with whips and stuff. They had taskmasters, but they were just under 20% income tax. That was the bondage of Egypt. It got worse to Crafts Estate, but... It, that's all it was. It was a Corby system of statutory labor. Your labor didn't belong to you. It belonged to the government. And you could keep some of it, and it was only supposed to be 20%, but through other means, you know. I mean, you pay 20% in Social Security and income tax now, but you also pay property tax and gasoline tax and, and fees and fines and what have you. And uh, then they are also borrowing trillions of dollars against the future of your children. And they're taking and taking and taking and taking and taking, exactly like Samuel 8 says. But anyway, in verse 6 he says, And the angels, he's reminding you stuff, which kept not the first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. He's pulling on ancient Hebrew literature to state that. But then he goes in verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in the manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh and set forth for an example, suffering and vengeance of eternal fire, what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? What was the sin of Sodom? In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They were a social welfare state. That's that's how they the everything belonged to the king, and the king controlled. You know, the people had to pay in to the system, and then they got the protection of the king. But the protection of the king did not protect them. It was Abraham who had this other systems of altars based on free will offerings, 
and a network of charity. That's what Abraham was setting up. You don't know that because you, your Christian ministers are teaching you the ways of the Pharisees as if those were the ways of the Old Testament. The Essenes knew the way of the Old Testament was not piling up stones, killing sheep, and setting them on fire. What was actually the altars were a system of social welfare through charity. That's what made Israel great. When they got away from that, they fell into bondage again. That's what made America great. When they get away from that, they fell into bondage. I'm not saying the United States. I'm just saying the people of America. That's what made some Indian tribes great. That's what made uh, some uh, immigrants here great. It's because they loved one another as much as they loved themselves. They cared about one another. That's what makes a nation great, a people great. All a nation is, is a people. Governments are bureaucracies and corporations and what have you. I'm interested in the hearts and souls of the people. So now in verse 8, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Despise dominion. You'll find that also. In Peter, Second Peter, this idea of despising dominion. But they don't say despise dominion. They translate it different in Second Peter. <laughs> so how do they translate it in Second Peter? In Second Peter, they say despise government. And we're going to see another word pop up here in the course of things that uh, is our old friend, exousia. Because Jude uses that word as well. But anyway, so he's talking about them that despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. And I have, you know, four footnotes in that one phrase <laughs> and uh, and links to other articles as well. But uh, he goes on in verse 9. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil... He disputes about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. That is a huge story of Moses, the body of Moses, that evil wants to take the body of Moses and claim it. But, and now he's supposedly dead, but no, he doesn't allow this to happen, and there's this dispute, and he talks about Michael the Archangel. Poorly understood, but don't unmoor the metaphor. Don't, because there's actually something very, very deep going on there. You want God to want your, defend you as well, and rebuke evil from taking you away. This is part of the armor of God. But anyway, we'll go into verse 10 here, but these Speak evil of those things which they know not. They don't understand them. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. What are the brute beasts? I have links there also that will take you to the definition of those words and you can find out what that all means as well. But... Uh, uh, yeah, well, the, Looks like, uh, um, anyway, we'll just keep going here. 
<laughs> I have things that have locked up now because of power blinkage again. But anyway, uh, uh, as the wind howls outside. But anyway, Bruce Beast, the Beast, this Beast they talk about in Revelation is the very next book in the in the Bible. It, the Bruce Beast is composed of all those thousand little beasties, all those covetous people that want to take a bite out of one another and create an image of God in the form of government, and that government, uh, some some harlot tries to ride that beast and control it. She can't control it, it gets out of control. You've got uh, all these other symbols in there. We've gone through Revelations, too. We have recordings on that, and we have a lot of writings on that, and on the mark of the beast and all that stuff. But the beast you need to be concerned with is the brute beast in your own heart. The, the part in your own mind that wants to make excuses that it's okay to covet thy neighbor's goods. And that you think you already know the gospel and that you're already walking in the ways because you've got this emotional good feeling. And I'm showing you that the early church took care of all the social welfare. Not just, you know, a few items for a few widows here and there. And, you know, and we, we went and helped out somebody poor in Africa or Mexico or or something, and maybe we distributed a little food to the homeless and maybe a couple of blankets. No, they took care of all, 100% of all the social welfare of the people in their congregation, and if they weren't doing that, if they weren't striving to do that, persevering in the doing of that, they weren't following Christ. They weren't Christians. Are you a Christian? Are you following Christ? Are you going in the ways of Christ? This is what you have to keep asking yourself. And, then, and the New Testament tells you to examine and study to see if you're doing that or not. Because a lot of people are not doing that. They have corrupted themselves by those people who snuck in and watered down the gospel. We'll be right back. Jude is telling us, he's rebuking the people, warning the people, trying to put them in remembrance that from the beginning that there is a way of God and there is a way that is not of God. And in in verse 10 he goes on to say, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. They don't understand really what God has always been saying from the beginning. Uh, but they, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, these covetous people who take a bite out of one another, all this is mentioned over and over again in the New Testament. It's, it's clearly the message of the Old Testament, but that clearness has been clouded over because individual after individual has crept in and changed the meaning of words. They didn't have to change the text. If they change the meaning of the Hebrew word, then you don't understand it. He goes into verse 11 saying, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. So what did Cain do? He started a city-state where people went under the authority, where they invested their 
their uh, imperium in the government, their right to choose. Now the government is going to make choices for them. Uh, I mean, the wind is unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know if you hear the houses even creaking. The trees are bending over. <laughs> Somebody doesn't like this message going out. So anyway, uh, this is the... Uh, this is the story from the beginning. He goes on to say, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, for benefits, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor, which was rebelling against Moses. The heir of Balaam is equated in the very next book with the Nicolaitan. The Nicolaitan are the conquered people. Balaam means conquered people. What is conquering them? Their lasciviousness, their lust, their wantonness, their desire for benefits where they gather together to have one person lurk privately for the blood of others, for the blood of the innocent. They want to take away from somebody they don't even know. They're absolutely willing to run their children and their children's children into a debt they can never pay, into a bondage they can never escape, except by the grace of God. They're absolutely willing to do that because they want to feel comfortable now. If you're looking for a church to make you feel comfortable, this ain't it. I'm not here to make you comfortable. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm not here to make you think you're in fellowship with Jesus while you're doing works of iniquity and doing contrary to the ways of Jesus. So, verse 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity. It's not pure religion. It's spotted religion. Charity, religion is the taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through charity, not through force. Your feasts of charity are spotted because most of the people in your congregation are taken care of by men who exercise authority one over the other. You're not a real Christian church. You want me to write a letter that tells you you are? You are not. I cannot do that till I see evidence that you're actually preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And you're actually teaching that to the people. It's not a popular message with a lot of people who say they are Christians. But it is the message that we are trying to give to the people freely. Give to the people. He says, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Outside, right now out my window, the wind is trying to pull trees up by their roots. <laughs> And it goes on to say in verse 13, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of of darkness forever. He goes on, now here he's talking about Enoch. Now some of the quotes have already had a little bit to do with some of the things you see in some of the books of Enoch. Now we've talked about the books of Enoch. They're not all real. But anyway, some are. The Enoch and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. 
we would love to come together with those saints, those called out, who want to walk in the ways of Christ. I don't find very many people who claim to be ministers of Christ who want to meet the criteria of Christ, which is spelled out clearly in the gospel. But people don't see it because they're not told it. Because they sit in a pew and wait for the minister to tell them his private interpretation of the gospel. The Holy Spirit needs to awaken into you. We're talking about that. Will you receive it? That's between you and God. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly amongst them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. They have been coveting their neighbor's goods and and driving their neighbors and their children and their children's children into greater and greater debt. And they these are ungodly deeds. You curse your children with your covetous practices. And, and it goes on, which they have ungodly committed. And of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Because they say, oh no, you don't have to do what Jesus said, you just have to believe in Jesus. But Jesus said, you have to be a doer. You have to forgive to be forgiven. Because he says, my father will not forgive you if you don't forgive. And you cannot become free if you don't forgive. These are murmurers, complainers, walkers after their own lust. They want their minister's salary. They want the prestige of the pulpit. They 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 want to live in million dollar mansions or ten million dollar mansions, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. We can look into all those words when we have time, but right now we'll keep on going. I may add some more to this page. And like I say, we may revisit this because of all the wind interruptions. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers and, and that be scoffers in the last times who should walk after their own ungodly lust, their own ungodly desires, their own vanity. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. But ye, beloved, build up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Christ unto eternal life. How do you how do you get forgiven? You forgive others. How do you get the mercy of God? You have mercy on others. How do you have mercy on others? You hear their prayers. You answer their prayers, and God will answer your prayers. This is walking in the way. You cannot find salvation unless you turn around and walk in the ways of Christ. You're not it's not about earning it. It's about not blocking out the Spirit of God from the ways in which you walk. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, 
which is God doesn't hate the Nicolaitan. He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He hates the spots in their religion. That, that, yeah, he loves it that they helped out some widow lady one day a week with a little tiny donation they don't even need. But what about the rest of the week? <laughs> These are the rest of the week you're spotting the religion of Christ. Because you're not taking care of all. Now, do you have to jump there? No, you have to seek that. And you can't find that unless you come together and start being like Christ. And it will change you. It will open up your eyes. And you will know those things that right now you don't seem to know. Now, unto them that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God or Savior. Augustus was called Savior. Tiberius was called Savior. Caligula was called Savior. The people tried to overthrow Caligula and kill him, which they did, and reestablish the Republic. But there was so much corruption in Rome, the Praetorian Guard put Claudius up there. Claudius wasn't half bad. You know, he, he had a lot of good things. He didn't like Christians. Uh, but he wasn't quite like Nero, who just was willing to kill anybody in order to get himself off the hook. But later on, Marcus Aurelius, who seems like a really nice guy in a lot of things, but he hated Christians. Because true Christianity is a shifting of the power of righteousness to the power of the people. And in verse 25, we see, to the only wise God, our Savior, our Sauter, our King, be glory, be the credit and majesty, and that word dominion and power. What word power is that? Exousia, the right to choose. God is the power. In Romans 13, that's the word they put in Romans 13. Let every man be subject to the higher power. What power is he talking about? The glory and majesty of our God and our Savior, our government, our dominion. That's who we should be looking to. Well, how does that work? He writes upon your heart. And he writes upon your mind. He doesn't tell me what you're supposed to be doing. He does tell me that I'm supposed to make you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He does tell me I'm supposed to preach his doctrine, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, not to engage in covetous practice, to turn away from the ways of unrighteousness and seek the ways of righteousness, and the, which are the ways of God, which have been the ways of God since before Cain, before Nimrod, before Caesar, before Pharaoh. We are not to go back that way. He's talking about keeping you from falling. I come, you have already fallen. Now I'm trying to help you up. I want to see all these dry bones out there who can hear the words of the Lord like sheep in the field. If you see little bones out laying in the field, I saw one the other day, yesterday as it was, when I was out taking care of cows. I saw this bone. I said, what's that in there? And I saw it was a bone laying there in the field. Out there in the dry meadow. (laughs) 
And so that's where we're on the valley of bones. You don't have the flesh and spirit of God living in you, but in that prophecy of Ezekiel, he breathes on the bones. He will breathe on them again. But first he breathes on the bones so that the bones come together. This is why he commanded that you come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Sit down in the ranks of tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about one another. It will begin to give you knowledge you do not know. It will begin to awaken you. And as you do this together, I saw this image of a lighthouse yesterday. Actually, somebody was painting a picture of a lighthouse, and I saw the picture. And and I w- they asked about, you know, what color they should make the lighthouse. Well, what light is in that? Is it carbide light? Is it is it the lights that we have now <laughs> that can have multicolors? In the old days, they had candles and small flames, and they just had lots of them reflecting together to make this lighthouse. And then the light would go around and point, in, the mirror would go around and point in different directions, and then people would say, oh, okay, that's where that harbor is, or that's where that harbor is. So this is, we need to be looking for that light and drawn towards that light. And we, But we also need to become that light, that thousand points of light. Now, I heard an interesting story. We don't have time to probably tell it, but, uh, well, yeah, I won't tell it now. I won't tell it now. I'll save this for later. But uh, maybe that's, he's got to stay campfire talk. But anyway, this is what we should be doing, is the, actually repenting, thinking a different way. And I've just told you the way that God has wanted us to think from the beginning. That our sacrifices were to take care of the needy of our society. The same as your sacrifices if you're a parent. If you're a father or a mother, you sacrifice to take care of your children. Even when they're older, you know, they're they're 16, 18, 20, and they're out on their own, they're still your children. You should not be pursuing things that you should not be pursuing. You should be pursuing to continue to be that parent for them, that that rock for them. That Hey Jude was written because that five-year-old little boy Jules' life was crumbling about him because his parents were divorcing. This is devastating trauma to him. But if he wants true love to come into him, he has to forgive, to be released of that. People who don't take the time to sit down in that tens, hundreds, and thousands, when you when you have to forgive your neighbor and give to your neighbor in the, these ranks of congregations, and you don't run off because you didn't like what somebody said, you forgive them and you continue to be that salvation of Christ for others. You you get to choose how to do it, but you need to be working in that direction, walking in that way. That forgiveness helps you with all the other trauma that you have to forgive that goes all the way back to your childhood. If you don't deal with those things, they will come back to haunt you. You will you will repeat those errors. You will become the sinner that sinned against you. You will become like that which you hate. Now, we have lots of articles on Balaam and the Nicolaitan and and, uh, on the daily ministration. We're supposed to be praying to our Father in heaven for our daily bread. How many Christians say the Our Father, but when they actually need daily bread for their parents, 
or for themselves or, you know, medical care or whatever. They don't pray to their father in heaven. They pray to their father in Sydney, Australia, or their father in London, or their father, you know, I guess it's their mother in London. <laughs> I guess it's a prime minister. There is an awakening taking place all across the, the world. But there is also evil stirring in the mold door of our society where the evil is rising up. And there is a battle taking place and beginning to take place. And as I tell you this, the wind is dying down outside. <laughs> but it will come again. You just don't want to be tossed to and fro by it. You need to start actually doing what Christ said and not trying to satisfy your own comforts your, your, to have your ears tickled. You know, you have already and your parents and your grandparents have eaten at the table of rulers who exercise authority one over the other and their welfare has become a snare. And as Peter tells you, you have been made merchant. You, he says you will be. Now I can say you have been made merchandise, surety for debt. And now you have to do, you know, be like the ant, oh sluggard, and start getting busy seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in the meantime, you may have to be righteous with the unrighteous mammon. Fulfill your pledges to that, but turn around and glean in the field at night for your your benefits. Learning to take care of one another. Learning to seek the righteousness of God. The modern Christian has returned to the bondage of Egypt. They are not saved from that. If they actually repent and seek the ways of Christ, the doctrines of Christ, the righteousness of God, they can be saved from that and not go down with the image of Rome which has now become pervasive throughout the world, the whatever. There is a stirring going on. And, and you know, I mean, that's why they elected Trump and they've elected another yellow-haired guy in England. <laughs> I thought I thought he, I saw him out serving tea to the, uh, the press, and I thought, like, geez, he looks a little like Trump. But that, those men are not your salvation. You have to change. You may have a, a, a kind of a, a, I, 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 the word keeps escaping me. I keep seeing it, but it keeps escaping me. But anyway, you have a reprieve here for a short period of time. But very short. There's no time to waste. There's just enough time to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you need to turn around. You need to realize that you have been taught a watered-down false gospel that allowed you to feed the brute beast in your own heart, the sloth in your own heart. And that's why you're under tribute, why you've become merchandise, why your children are cursed with this trillions of dollars of debt. There's no dispute that they haven't been cursed with that debt, although some people say it's not real debt. You've got real stuff. <laughs> you know, people are really getting fed by this. No, you have to really turn around. Yeah, it's a little scary, but hey, Jude, don't be afraid. <laughs> we can take this sad song and make it better. 
All you have to do is let love into your heart. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. I don't want to. I don't want to be that way. But you get the message. The message of Balaam, you're conquered people. You're the Nicolaitans. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. He hates the deeds of them. So what you have to do is start doing the deeds of righteousness. You have to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another. Start hearing the prayers of one another. Start forgiving one another. Not straying off. We had a number of people come back to the network. They were here for a while, and then they got distracted and went away. And now they're kind of coming back. Well, great. You can do that 70 times 70 or until your time runs out. I mean, because we will forgive you. But you got to really come back to the ways of righteousness. Because our forgiveness is not absolution. Only God can actually ab- give you absolution. I'm just telling you the way it works. It works by you forgiving others. You have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive others. And that makes it easier to come back and sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You want a big cathedral with loud music and everything feels real comfortable and cushy seats? We don't have that. We're building living stones, temples. We're building stones out of living, or we're building, excuse me, we're building temples out of living stones. (laughs) And we want you to be one of those lively stones, or at least lively altars of clay. And and there are some people that are starting to wake up to this, but this is the message of God and the message of righteousness and the message that has been preached from the beginning. You just have to turn around and go that way. And if you don't go that way, you will continue to be made perfect savages and you will be continuing on the road to condemnation. But join the network. Go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Join the network. Start getting to uh, join actual congregations. Start organizing yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start seeking the righteousness of God. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.